You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There you go, first base hit for Julio. He's digging for two, and he's going to get there. Tying run at second base. Julio Rodriguez, get that baseball. Wide to left field, into the corner. Base hit number one, RBI number one. And Bobby Witt Jr. gives the Royals the lead in the bottom of the eighth. Welcome to the big leagues, Bobby Witt Jr. You just got your first big league knock with a stake attached. Swing and a miss. The first strikeout for Hunter Green as mom and dad look on. Swing and a miss, strike three. Another one, swing and a miss, strike three. Swing and a miss, strike three. Hale struck him out. Strike three, Cole. That was pretty quick. The seventh strikeout for Hunter Green. He yanks it down the right field line. He crosses up the defense. Miller scores. Here comes Ernie Clement. Straw waved around third. He scores as well. It's a three-run triple for Stephen Kwan. Wow, what a fun start to the 2022 season it has been with all of these big, big name prospects opening the season in the big leagues. Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, Hunter Green, and the amazing Stephen Kwan. This is the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We're going to dig into all these big debuts and the silly start of Stephen Kwan. We will talk about some of the most stacked minor league teams and going to look at some prospect predictions. Jim, Jonathan, and Sam Dykstra made one prospect-based prediction per team. We're going to look at those and pick out which ones we think are locks and which ones we think are crocs. And then we're going to talk some draft and we will close up shop as we always do by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, how many of these debuts did you see? Did you see them all? Not live, but come on, Jim. But yeah, well, it, you know, it's we're preparing for the draft list coming out in just nine days from now. So inexcusable. I, I've spent many more hours on the phone talking draft than I've been watching baseball live but i have i've tried to keep up with all the highlights this is where we need to teach jim to you know stretch the truth a little bit i think for just to, for, for excitement purposes all honesty and nobody's gonna know jim was actually in every ballpark for each of those debuts that's quite a stretch that's how committed he is see that's that's what you should have gone with i'll submit the expense reports for that though i will i will say that i saw bits of all all the the debuts not all of them live you know the kind of thing that i would see something had happened and then i would go watch um you know i turned it on for a little bit caught a nap bat here you know a strike out there that sort of thing well it's funny because um in the in our open there obviously stringing together the highlights eh, they've been a little few and far between for these guys but having said that uh you know bobby witt Junior seems to be doing what you kind of expected him to do. Like he just seems to find ways to impact the game um, through his first, what is it? Four games, I guess, uh, 16 at bats. He only has two hits, you know, he's hitting 125. Um, but the first hit was a huge hit. Um, and then he's made a couple of plays in the field. Uh, one in particular where he saved a, a run late in the game uh, and the Royals went on to win, I believe, pivotal pivotal point in that game. Um, he just seems to find a way to be involved in big plays. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, it's a small sample size, and, and none of these guys is really raking right now. But I mean, you know, what made Bobby Witt, you know, the argument for making him the best prospect in baseball is that he's a legitimate five tool shortstop. You know, it, it's not. I mean, the things you notice the most are the you know the ability to hit and hit for power, but he's also a very good defensive player. Um, and I think he deserves extra credit. If we can give extra credit, um, he's playing third base kind of, you know, which he's not played a whole lot and looking very good at third base. And we knew he could really run and he's, you know, taking advantage on the 
on the rare opportunities where he's been on base. And, and you know, at least, you know, it, it was pretty cool on opening day. I thought that was kind of the coolest moment for any of these guys was when he had the, the game winning hit in the eighth inning. And it was just like, okay, kind of, kind of like it seemed fated to be. Extra credit. What, you want to move him up from number one on the list? We'll make him zero. Zero. He's number zero. Make him zero. Yeah, I mean, he's always been that kind of, of player. And I'm not surprised at all as a Billy at third. You know, even when he played for Team USA, he moved off a of shortstop. He played center field. I saw him play third during Tournament of Stars. Saw him play second base. I think you could put him anywhere and he would do just fine. And he will, I think all of these guys, they, <clears throat> they are going to find their footing and they're going to start to produce the way, uh, you know, we kind of expect them to. Uh, whether it's right now or down the road, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but he, because of all those tools and be, just because of the uh, of the way he plays the game, and I think Julio Rodriguez is is like this to a certain extent. He's going to help his team win games, even if he's not doing anything that's showing up that much in the box score just yet. Jimmy talked about playing third and looking good there, and you talk about the tools and. The- you know, both Witt and Rodriguez uh, right off the bat showing off their tools. And I think I think the first thing we saw from Witt was a play uh, where he was kind of basically lined up as a shortstop, made a backhanded play, threw across the diamond, great throw at like 80, well, I want to say 87, 88 miles an hour, something like that, um, you know, going into the hole and getting the runner at first. So showing off the arm there. And then both he and Julio with you know sprint speeds of over 30 feet per second, which is considered elite. Um, and there, I think there were only two players in the league last year that averaged uh, over 30 feet per second in bursts, and both of them measuring over 30 on, on their first attempts um so both of these guys showing some some very impressive tools um julio also coming through with a big you know a clutch hit and a rally by the mariners his first big league hit uh was a double that started a game-winning rally for the mariners uh so coming through in, in clutch situations and uh but yeah you go to you go down the list of the guys the top 100 guys who are in the big started in the big leagues and you just if you go down the OPS column, it's 426, 276, 231, and 222. Hey, Torque had a double today, Jason. Torque had a double. Yes, Torque did. He got his first. Uh, he's over 231. Yeah, he got his first uh, big league hit. He's, uh, he's at 404 now. Give him his due, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because we're uh, we have the MLB.tv free game of the day. And, you know, we often will target – uh, these games featuring big prospects or debuts. So uh, last year, you know, Wander Franco's debut was a big one, very highly watched. And then this year uh, with Bobby Witt Jr., that uh, that game was a free game of the day, um, which I believe was the, the most viewed ever, um, if I'm not mistaken, free game of the day. And, and then uh, we were going to feature today Torkelson, tomorrow Julio Rodriguez. I was like, man, these guys are a combined one for 24 with 14 strikeouts. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen guys get off to slow starts like this before and, you know, often, uh, you know, rebound quickly. Sometimes it takes a while, but I don't think anybody's really concerned about any of these guys. No, not yet. On the other side of the ball, um, Hunter Green, his big league debut was quite impressive. The velocity, I think everybody knew was going to be there and was, uh, to sort of, nearly an unprecedented level, but also got the win, seemed to have pretty good command of his breaking stuff and seemed to, you know, wasn't just throwing the ball hard out there. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things that's made him stand out is he's always had a feel for the strike zone. Now, you know, I think where the issues have come in, you know, and what happened in that in that fifth inning when he gave up the two homers is that, his fastball can flatten out a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm channeling Jim right now, you know, but it, it can get too much of the plate and it can get hit. You know, it's best when he, when he, he's able to throw it with, you know, down in the zone with some sink. Um, 
the thing that he did early or is he did mix in both his his slider and his changeup pretty effectively um changeup cutter whatever you want to call it you know i think i think statcast is going to have some issues identifying what his true pitches are but it, it's another look uh and you know as he got around the lineup uh you know i guess for a third time in that fifth inning you know the fastball was still hard i mean the last fastball he threw was 100 miles an hour but uh, you know, but they started getting a little too much of the plate and flattened out. And I think he's going to make adjustments. Uh, he 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 has never been just a pure throw it as hard as he can guy. It was, but he didn't always have the assortment of pitches needed in order to, uh, you know, in, in order to have real success at the big league level. So it'll be interesting to see what he does from lessons learned, especially from that final inning. Uh, that it was out there and, and to take it forward into future starts. It was interesting to me. Like you could look at that start and, and kind of take away whatever you wanted almost. Like if, like I, I've said, I know Jonathan is higher on, on Hunter Green than I am. And, and I've, I've harped on how I think the fact everyone was higher on Hunter Green than you are. Well, that's not true. You make it sound like I'm killing the guy and I'm not, but I was, what I was going to say is if you just look again, it's one game. You can't read too much into it. But if you look at the data, I mean, he gave up two homers. I think both pitches were over 100 miles an hour. His fastball did get hit fairly often, you know, by by the Braves. You know, as Jonathan was pointing out, he throws really hard, but can straighten out. And, and you know, big leaguers can hit velocity. But so so if you're looking, if you're in the, you know, that's going to be an issue. You could say, hey, it was kind of an issue against the Braves. But then if you, you know, want to talk about his upside, you know, the the I think the biggest knock, really the the only knock on, on Hunter Green, Jonathan, going back to when he was amateur, was, you know, how well does he really spin the ball? Like, you know, he didn't doesn't didn't have much of a curve. He he's got a slider now. And the slider looked really good against the Braves. He notched three of his seven strikeouts against the Braves on sliders. Um, he threw it oh, about, you know, looks like about, you know, a little under 30% of the time. And he had good life on the slider too. It had, it had some good, you know, sweep horizontal movement on it. So I think that part was was promising. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how those two trends, you know, you know, play out going forward. Yeah, in that game, Hunter Green threw 45 pitches at 99 miles per hour or above, um, which is the second most ever recorded uh, going back to uh, the beginning of uh, StatCast in 2008. Only one time since then has a starting pitcher thrown more pitches uh, at 99 miles per hour or more in a single game, and that was Noah Syndergaard uh, did it one time. He threw 47 such pitches. Uh, speaking of velocity, of the 12 fastest pitches thrown this season so far in the early going, two pitchers uh, account for nine out of those 12 pitches, Hunter Green and you know who uh, who the other one would be? Shohei Otani. I, well, no. I, why, I'm, why might I mention it on this particular podcast? Uh because it's think because of, it's a rookie, it's a prospect. Well, it's 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 not going to be Reed Detmers. Um, it's not. Not it's. I'm thinking top 100 guys. Like there aren't that many top top 100 guys up in the big leagues, are there? No, it's not a top 100 guy. See, that's why that's why I'm perplexed. It's a, um, it's a reliever. Well, that makes sense. That it would be a reliever. Uh, you just have to tell us so we don't has the that. has the hardest. It's it's Duran. Oh yeah. Oh, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're on Duran. Yep. He's he's thrown the two fastest recorded pitches so far, uh, 102 miles an hour and 101.7 miles per hour. Uh, but yeah, he and Hunter Green account for nine of the 12 fastest pitches thrown uh, in the early going. So uh, there's one non-top 100 prospect. Uh, who's been opening eyes in the big leagues. Another one who is it, I think it's fair to say he's maybe the biggest story through the first week of the season. Sure. Stephen Kwan. Is it, is that fair? Oh, that's fair. I mean, uh, some of the stats are, are just downright silly. They're absurd. I mean, you know, you know, he's already walked today since we no, started. I did not know. Broadcast. He, he he walked. He he's mortal. He got caught stealing, but he he walked 
in his first plate appearance today. So he now has an 800 on base percentage. His, his on base percentage has gone from 789 to 800 since we've started recording. Yeah, there were there are so many crazy stats about his start. Um, you know, the, I think the first of which is that he reached base 15 times in his first four games, which is the most I'm going to say ever. We, we we have to technically say according so, to the Ratliff Stats Bureau. Is, is, so, is that, no, we, well, we have to say since 1901. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought you were just guessing there, so I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, guessing beyond 1901, but uh, and then he at one point he had reached base in nine consecutive trips, and then I think the one that everybody's really uh, had their mind blown about. Uh, is that he is yet to swing and miss this year. I, I believe he had, entering today's game, he had swung 26 times um, and zero swings and misses. Also did not swing and miss during spring training and has not struck out in a game since, since September 26th last year, which I'm not going to say this is what was expected out of him, Jim, but I mean – if if you were gonna guess anybody might do this, he he is probably that guy. Well, no, I, I mean, really, but but he he doesn't. He's known to be this kind of. Oh well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give you the the not striking out, not swinging and missing, maybe, but like I I don't know. I don't think I would have guessed that he would have had eight hundred on base percentage. I mean, Stephen. I mean, he he's a hard prospect to figure out because he essentially had one really good year in the minor leagues and he was hurt for half of that year. Um, I mean, before the pandemic, he hit 280 with a 353 on base percentage in high A. So I, I will push back and say that he would have been the guy most likely to do this. But um, no, I mean, yeah, I think I was talking more more about the not swinging, the 26 uh, sure. swings without him. Sure. I'll, I'll give you that one. Sure. I'm 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 being tough on you here, but yeah, no, I think he, last year he had the lowest uh, he had the lowest swinging strike rate in in the minors by a long shot. It was like two two point six percent, and next was was like five or six percent. Yeah, no, and, and, and it's interesting. It's funny because you know the scout assigned him is Connor Glassy, you know, with the Guardians, who I, who I worked with Connor for for several years at Baseball American. I mean, Jonathan, he was in your uh, your part of the draft, you know, at Oregon State. And he was he was, you know, a good college player, you know, kind of steady, never really drew much attention. I mean, he was on Oregon State team that had, you know, number one overall pick in Adley Rutschman, a number four overall pick in Nick Madigal, another first round pick in Trevor Larnick, a supplemental first round pick in Caden Grenier. You know, and he was, you know, a guy who, you know, made contact and drew walks and got on base and didn't hit for much power. And then you know, last year, you know, in pro ball, he, you know, he's a fifth round pick. He comes in, you know, like I said, okay year. You know, he kind of had made contact, but not really any damage in 2019. And he came back last year and, and hit 12 homers in 77 games and had a 900 ops. Um, you know, it was interesting. You know, he, he was hurt, so he only played about half the year. So, I mean, it wasn't like he had this long track record of, of hitting like that. But he's got, he's got great hand-eye coordination. He... He added a late kick last year and started looking to pull more pitches. And, you know, he's not the most physical guy. What's he listed? Like 5'9", 170. But he can really put the bat on the ball and barrels it a lot. And so far, he's he's been a revelation. You know, some injury. I, he wouldn't have made the open day roster. Injuries opened uh, the door for that. And then, I mean, we you know, we've talked, I think, on the podcast before about how difficult uh, the Guardians have found to to find three outfielders who can produce uh, at the major league level, and you know, Quan getting his opportunity. They, you know, now they now they have one. So, um, you know, kudos to him. But it, it, it's it's been really really impressive. I think uh, entering yesterday's game, Monday's game, Quan uh, had not swung and missed. Rosario. Uh, had also Ahmad Rosario had also not swung a miss, um, and then Miles Straw was uh, had the sixth best swinging strike percentage uh, at one point six. Uh, Jose Ramirez, who was also among league leaders last year, um, he and Straw were were uh, ninth and third respectively last year. 
is is this organizational at all? I mean, they were, you know, those four guys uh, among the 10 best in all of baseball seems to be beyond uh, coincidence. Is, is there anything to, you know, is anything stressed and prioritized in terms of player acquisition and, and development there? You, you can definitely see it on the amateur side too. I mean, we don't have a way to, I, I guess we could quantify it if we, you know, we, we looked at the spreadsheet and, and did a sort, but I, I mean, if you look at the, at the guys that they draft and sign internationally, the vast majority of their early picks or big money international guys, I would say the primary tool is bat to ball skills. You know, they, they, they probably have more hit over power guys on their top 30 than probably just about any organization, you know, and I mean, from the pitching side too, they prioritize, you know, guys who can throw a lot of strikes and they've, they've, you know, Shane Bieber being the most prominent example, done a great job at helping guys uh, get the most out of their stuff. Um, But if you like, I I do that prospect list and, you know, you don't sign that many pitchers internationally for big money, but, but the hitters that they sign in the draft internationally for big money are almost all, those hit over power guys. And if you look at the pitchers they take early and they did it again last year too, it's guys who stand out more for their aptitude and pitchability. I mean, Daniel Spino obviously is an exception. Um, you know, then guys who throw, you know, 95 and up with, with nasty breaking stuff. Um, so I, I do think it is something they, they prioritize and Quan, even though he wasn't a high, high pick, he was a fifth rounder and then they have so many guys, he might be a little bit of an extreme example because they do have some guys with some pop too, who, with, with very good hitting ability. But, um, but I think, I think you're onto something there, Jason. It, it, I think it is something they prioritize. Yeah. I, I, I like how you kind of couple that Jim, you know, in terms of looking at what they look at for hitters and pitchers. And I think it also shows a, a faith in their player development system that they're going to maximize whatever these players have um, you know, so with Stephen Kwan, now we'll wait and see what happens. And even with all those guys, Jason, that you, you know, talked about that they have, there's been very little swing and miss. Uh, we're only a handful of games in. Let's see uh, how that plays out over the over the course of the season. It's clearly something that they preach, but I don't think you'll find an organization that doesn't preach, you know, swinging at strikes, but um, and and you know, and making contact. But I think when when you are prioritizing guys who can barrel up the baseball, you know, who can make a lot of contact, just like on the pitching side, when you're prioritizing guys who have a feel to pitch and can throw strikes, then you wait, then you get them into player development and strength and conditioning and see what else you can tease out. You know, Shane Bieber uh, didn't throw very hard when, when he came out, but he could really pitch. Then he started throwing harder and still had the feel to pitch. And that's why he's Shane Bieber. And I think the same thing goes, you know, for some of these hitters and I'm, Really excited to see whether Stephen Kwan obviously isn't going to keep up this ridiculous pace, but will he impact the baseball enough to be an everyday player in the, in the big leagues? And I think that's what the the uh, the Guardians player development system tries to do. Is you know they they work with him to try to get uh, the ability to to elevate the ball some and and show some power, uh, you know, things of that nature. So it. it it is a, a sort of combination of ingredients that I think is really interesting to, to, to track as the season goes on. And it's not like it's, you can just do this automatically, but I do think when you have very, very good hand-eye coordination, you know, like Stephen Kwan obviously does, then you are more able to do what he did last year and make some adjustments to the swing and the setup and the bigger leg kick and still make a lot of contact. And, yeah. you know, we can, we, we can, we have a bunch else to talk about and we will, but I was going to say, you know, Tyler Freeman, who's one of their best prospects. He's on the top 100 right now and he's on the injured list in AAA. He's another hitter with this profile and he's a little bit more extreme hit over power, maybe even more so than Quan because Quan kind of picked it up power wise, but Tyler Freeman, you know, once he gets going, you know, probably is as good a contact hitter as there is in the minor leagues right now. So it's just, you know, it's just very interesting. They, they, do, they do a really nice job in Cleveland, you know, especially considering if you look at their payroll, I mean, it's got to be hard to be a Guardians fan. Their payroll goes down every year, but yet they still pretty consistently contend because they keep producing hitters and pitchers. All right, let's take a break. 
we want to shift our focus from the big leagues to the minor leagues and take a look at some of the most prospecty teams in the minors. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Minor league season underway as well and starting to get a look at uh, some of the top prospects around the minor league landscape. And we can look specifically at a few teams, which we have a story up on MLB.com slash pipeline now of the most stacked teams in the minors. And uh, we're basically looking at the teams who have a combination of top 100 prospects and just sheer number of their teams, uh, top 30 prospects. And uh, the top five on that list are the Altoona Curve, which is the Pirates AA affiliate, Eugene Emeralds, the Giants High A affiliate, Tulsa Drillers, Dodgers AA affiliate, Akron Rubber Ducks, the Indians AA affiliate. Oh, you did it. You, you did what I do. Guardians. Oh. $25,000 in the uh, 25000 That's usually my. I, Wait, is the fine $25,000? You guys or? didn't even credit me for all the Stephen Kwan talk. I didn't say Indians once. So, wow. Like, I, I think I deserve some praise. And then you went ahead and did it for me. You want credit for saying it right for the first time ever? It's like first time in like ten tries. Yeah, I like <laughs> I deserve some kudos. Like if you if you have a young dog and you're training him, you're supposed to reward. <laughs> I think I should get Jason's twenty five thousand dollars to like reward me for for doing it right. Finally, you did not just call yourself a young dog. Well, I know I'm not young, but I'm saying I said if you're training a young dog, right. I was like if you're trying to reward behavior. Something about an old dog and new tricks. I think. Yeah. But I, I, I was so proud, and then Jason went into yeah. it on us. <laughs> anyway, the fifth team, the fifth team uh, on our, our top ten is the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, which I'm allowed uh, allowed to say, uh, and that's the New York Mets Double A affiliate. Uh, so, Jonathan, uh, let's start at the top of this list and tell us why the Altoona Curve is at the, is at the top of it, uh, outside of the fact that it's. Uh, Pirates affiliate, and you're a massive homer. Oh, I knew I knew that was coming. Way too easy. I almost put them, you know, lower down just for that. But it, to me, that it ended it ended up not being even remotely close. You know, because the the first thing I did was look at top 100 breakdown for you know across affiliates, and uh, no no team had more than three. And the curve or one that had three with Nick Gonzalez, Quinn Priester, and the over Paguero. Um, but then, you know, you're looking at a top 10 farm system and 11 of the top 30 of a really deep top 30 are all on this team, you know, uh, and it, and it's, and it's deep, you know, when you have a, you know, Jared Triolo, who was, you know, Matt Frazier, two of the better performers in, in their entire system last year, are both there. This is, you know, a lot of these players were from a Greensboro team that made the playoffs last year and they just moving up a level. Um, and it kind of goes across the board, you know, position players, there's some, some pitching behind Quinn Priester, just a really exciting, uh, exciting team. And yes, they are a Pirates affiliate. Yes, it's two hours from my house. So I'm hoping to, to get out to see them before Nick Gonzalez hits his way out of double A, for instance. But, uh, uh, to me, once I lined it up, that combination of the high end guys and the sheer amount of top 30 guys from a deep system made it pretty, pre, a pretty easy pick for me to put them in the top spot. Jim, uh, Eugene, 
a giant. Don't call me Eugene. <laughs> is, that, is that your middle James Eugene Dallas? <laughs> no, it is. It is not. It is not. Um, a Giants affiliate, one of your organizations. Would you put Eugene up against Altoona in terms of the amount of prospecty goodness on that team? I would. I, I think they compare very favorably, which is why Jonathan has them at number two. So, I, I, which is which is fine. I, I might, you know, and again, we like the systems we cover. Or you, you just you tend to believe more in the prospects and the systems you cover because you talk more about them. Is that fair, Jonathan? True. Like like whether I mean even subconsciously. So I might, if I were doing the list, have pushed for Eugene. But I but I think it would. We got to get these teams on the field together, even though they're in different levels and play against each other. But you know, it, it's interesting to me because you have you know now that Joey Bart's graduated, you have the three best prospects in the Giants system. All their top one hundred guys are all on this team and. In Marco Luciano, who's got tremendous power, Luis Matos, who is the MVP in the Low A West last year, and left-hander Kyle Harrison, who was the pitcher of the year in the Low A West last year. And this is a bunch of these guys were in San Jose a year ago. They won the league championship. I believe that team, the pitchers, led the minor leagues in strikeouts. They had a bunch of like I think they averaged something like 12 or 13 strikeouts per nine innings. It was an insane ratio as a team. And, you know, like Jonathan, you know, he said with, with, with the first place club, you know, Eugene's pretty loaded both ways. I mean, you've got Yamatos and Luciano anchoring a lineup that also has Jairo Pomares, who had about as good a year as anybody in terms of rate stats last year in the minors. He missed some time with injury. He, he's in the lineup. You've got first round picks, Patrick Bailey and Hunter Bishop. You've got Casey Schmidt who's one of the best defensive players in the minors. You've got Luis Toribio, who had a down year, but I think I just, what, rattled off seven of their their nine everyday players. I mean, it's a deep lineup. And then on the pitching staff, they have Randy Rodriguez, who's, who's a super interesting prospect who guys probably don't know a whole lot about. He was added to the Giants' 40-man roster. He was a multi-inning reliever last year. They're going to try to stretch him out and make him a starter this year. And, I mean, he's up to 99, and it's the classic, you know, what everybody wants these days. It's low release point, high spin. The ball has tremendous carry up in, up in the zone. And in the last two months of last season, Randy Rodriguez pitched 20 and a third innings, did not give up a run, struck out 50 guys, and walked three. So he's he's kind of your your prospect pitching prospect with an up arrow in that system. And they've got, you know, a couple interesting lefties, Nick Swinney, Seth Corey. Um, Corey's a former top 100 guy who had a bad year last year and, and had trouble throwing strikes. And that continued in the, in the fall league, but when he's on the stuff's pretty good. So it's, you know, I, I feel like I've said like every few weeks I talk about how the giant system is on the upswing and it's as deep as it's been since Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner and company were coming through the, the miners on their way to San Francisco. And I, this is going to be a really, really fun team to watch. And, and a lot of their guys are pretty young for the high A level as well. A fun team to watch. And you can watch them. A pretty cool thing about Eugene is that they're at a, a lower level. It used to be at an even lower level. Now they're high A, but you can watch them on MILB.TV, which I believe this is the, I think this is the first year you can watch them on MILB.TV. So fun to watch and you actually can watch them. Um, Jim, you you said we, we need to get these teams on the field uh, despite them being at different levels. Can we, can we do that? Can we have a, can we have a tournament at the end of the season where yes. we take the, the winner from each? We'll do our own NHSI. Like we'll have, uh, uh, you know, we'll do our own, our own tournament where we just select the top four or eight teams and, you Pipeline know, line minor league championship. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you could have, you could have a, a little mini tournament at each level and then the winner of each of the four levels then meets in a final four. Yep. There you go. There we go. Good is done. There is, I mentioned the story on MLB.com slash pipeline where you can see the full list of the 10 most stacked minor league teams. Check that out. Figure out who you need to go see play or watch play on MILB.TV this year. We are going to take another break and come back and make some prospect predictions that's up next on the mlb pipeline podcast another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. Jim, Jonathan, and Sam Dykstra made some prospect predictions. They made one prediction for each team pertaining to a prospect for this fledgling 2022 season. And uh, we're not going to go through each and every one of those, but what we are going to do is have Jim and Jonathan identify their thousand star lock guarantee prediction. And then the one that they feel the least confident about. So they're, they're locks and they're, they're crocs. Jonathan, let's start with your lock. Well, I'm going to extrapolate from his first start in AAA and say that my lock is my prediction about Grayson Rodriguez, who in his first start went four one-hit innings, didn't give up a run, walked one and struck out seven. Uh, that was, you know, making to AAA for the first time. And I had predicted that uh, he would earn a call-up by midseason and pitch well enough in the second half to get some American League Rookie of the Year votes. Now, I'm not a 1,000% confident in that second part because we have no control over that. This is a lock. I, you have to be a 1,000% confident. You know what? No, you know what? I'm gonna, you can't I'll, qualify I'll, your lock. I will put my chips. I can do whatever I want. $25,000. It's, it's, it's not a lock if you if you aren't Fine. confident. In I am going to say that it is a lock. He will pitch well enough to get American League Rookie of the Year votes. Wow. I think he's I think he's going to be up by June. You said he went four one-hit innings. Does that, does that mean he gave up four hits? Funny. Do you agree? Do you agree four, with this? Four this wording, one Jim. Hit. Well, you know, it's funny. Wow. I think I used the same wording in in this week's edition of the Beat Report. That's what I was. That's what I was echoing. I just listened to what Jim says and then parroted it back. Four innings during which he gave up one hit total. <clears throat> Is that better? That's better. Thank okay. you. All right, Jim. Your twenty five thousand dollar thousand star lock prospect prediction is well you know i have like two answers here but i can only go with one so i'm going to go with the one that is hard for you i know it's hard so i'm going to i want to go with daniel espino being the baseball's best pitching prospect but i think a bigger lock is bobby miller the dodgers um i I wrote that when he struck out shohei otani on a hundred mile an hour fastball and won the final exhibition games it would not be the last time he blew away big leaguers with his heat this year I, I'm confident he will claim a significant role with the Dodgers this summer. I think he has a good chance to pitch important innings in October. His stuff is just so, so ridiculously good um, that he just needs a little bit more experience in the minors. And then I think we'll see him on a Dodgers pitching staff that maybe has a few more question marks than it has in the, in the last few years. All right. Let's move on to our Crocs. Jonathan, the prospect prediction you made that you feel least confident about you know i feel pretty good about all mine but you're making me i'm gonna say the one that i feel least confident about is my prediction for sam bachman the angels first round pick from last year that predicted he would pitch across three levels while leading the organization in strikeouts landing firmly in the conversation about top right-handed pitching prospects in the game now the second part of that might end up being true um but especially since he's uh, on the shelf right now, N- nothing major, some back spasms, but it's slowing him up. I think there's going to be a limited workload. Uh, so I'm not sure he makes it across three levels or throws enough innings to lead the organization in strikeouts. Um, if I were to rewrite that, maybe I would say he'll lead the organization in strikeouts per nine to kind of hedge my bet there. But that's the one I feel least confident in right now. All right. Yeah, before Jim, before you do your crock, I, w- I want to throw my lock in. And that's that Stephen Kwan will, in fact, bat 750 or above this year. It's monitoring the game, uh, and uh, I don't have the I don't have the stream on, but I'm following on uh, Statcast here, and I see in play, comma runs, uh, bases loaded, 
by the way. So anyway, go on, uh, Jim, the prospect prediction you feel least confident about. You've, uh, that was just a sack. You, fly. You've just, you've distract me. You distracted me. Oh, only a sack fly. So that actually his on base percentage goes down with a sack fly, I believe. Yeah. Um, uh, st- still no swings and misses though. He's, are you sure? Did you check each pitch in that at bat? Yeah, you're right. He took two called strikes. Two called strikes. Yep. 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 Okay. Well, yeah. I actually, I should have cited my Stephen Kwan prediction because I had him reaching base 37 times in his first four games. Uh, so I was I was all over that. <laughs> um, but then right. you edited it out. Jason edited that out and said you need to go with Daniel Spino and go with a a higher ranked prospect. So I've, I'm I'm still upset about that. But um, probably my biggest stretch among my predictions, although I do like this guy, is is I wrote that that Hunter Brown of the Astros will become the third straight unhyped Astro who will finish first among pitchers in American League Rookie of the Year balloting. Um, I do think he'll get to Houston and, and play a key role in the pitching staff. But, you know, coming in first in the American League Pitcher Rookie of the Year balloting, um, you know, Jonathan already mentioned Grayson Rodriguez. That, that's probably the greatest degree of difficulty with any of my predictions. That would be the one that's probably least likely to come true. All right. And a reminder, we have a story up with a fun prediction for each of the 30 organizations this year. You can find that on MLB.com slash pipeline. All right. Moving right along. Let's talk draft. Um, We want to talk about some injuries. Want to talk about some guys at the very top of the draft class who are off to good starts. And speaking of good starts, Jim, I know you would like to talk about the start of the Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty amazing. Right now they are thirty-one and one. The the only loss they have this year is to Texas and Pete Hansen, who, who's probably going to go in the first three rounds of the draft. But but Tennessee is thirty-one and one. I believe that's the best start. This will go way back. My first year on the prospect beat, 1989, first full year, Texas A&M started 40-1, and wound up getting knocked out, like like one of the great upsets of all time. LSU knocked them out of the regionals with two wins on the final day. And a couple of years ago, I mean, we were talking about Oregon State and Stephen Kwan earlier, uh, Oregon State was 31-2, and and only had four losses going into the semifinals of the College World Series. And they got upset by LSU. So maybe LSU is going to do something to Tennessee down the road. But uh, the Volunteers are 31-1. and They're 12-0 and in the SEC, which is unprecedented in the SEC since they expanded. They're averaging 10 runs a game. They have an ERA under two. And there's all kinds of amazing things about the Volunteers. And maybe the most amazing is, is that Blade Tidwell, who we had ranked – I don't have our top 100 for the draft in front of us. We had him in the in the in the teens. 13. Has barely pitched for him this year. Yeah, he barely pitched for him this year. He's pitched four innings. He had some shoulder soreness at the beginning of the year, and they are so good. They have a, the whole rotation, the weekend rotation, led by Chase Burns, who was on our draft list last year in high school, is all underclassmen um, who are combined 19 and 0. Um, that Blake Tidwell, he may not pitch in their weekend rotation for quite a while. They can ease him back in. They've been pitching him a little midweek action on Tuesdays and then relief on the weekend. But, you know, they're 31-1, and one, and their best pitcher has thrown four innings for them all year. And from a draft perspective, this team's going to have a number of picks. You've got Jordan Beck is, is going to be a first-rounder. I think he'd be a mid-first-rounder if the draft were today. Really athletic, physical right fielder with power. He's hitting more consistently. Solid runner plus arm. They've got Drew Gilbert, who's probably, I'd say, a second-round pick. He's hitting 400 right now. He can run. He plays a great center field. He's got a pretty good fastball when he pitches in relief, which they haven't had to do this year. He's a hit-over power guy, so we might as well just give Drew Gilbert to the Indians in the second round of the draft uh, right now. Guardians. Ah, See? There you go. I gave. I threw away my twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Give it back. I. 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 I, I Short lived. Yes. I. I. I counted my. Uh, my. My streak before uh, I completed it, and uh, that's terrible. Yes. We'll put him on the Guardians right now. But so Drew Gilbert's a really interesting guy, and then on the pitching staff, I still think Tidwell, especially with all the pitchers who are hurt this year, if he gets back into form, I think he's going to go in the first round, and you know probably. It, crazy, the most famous guy on Tennessee might be reliever Ben Joyce, 
who's been clocked at 104 miles an hour this year. Um, and they, it, what's crazy is they don't really pitch him in close games. Um, he, you know, doesn't really pitch in SEC games, but he throws hard. So he'll, he'll probably go in the first four or five rounds, even though he's a pure reliever. Um, but it's just, it's a, it's a very, very deep team and it, you know, hard to do much better than 31 and one. It didn't come entirely out of nowhere. Right, Jim, I think like, uh, sort of top 20 preseason ranking. Is that? Yeah. And then, you know, they went to Omaha last year. Um, you know, Tony Vitello, the coach there has done a great job. I, I've known Tony. I used to talk to him when I, I used when we, when I worked at baseball American, we'd go like crazy, crazy deep in the draft 500 deep. And we'd go even deeper on state list. And Tony was one of the best recruiters in the country. And, and I talked to Tony and, you know, he's come in. I mean, I, it, what's amazing to me is that his predecessor there, Dave Serrano, was, was a great college coach too, and he could not win at Tennessee. He could not get that program going. And Tony Vitello has come in and pretty much had almost instantaneous success. They went to Omaha last year. They're, you know, we, they, I, you know, they they had a really good recruiting class. You know, to to you know replace some of the guys they lost last year and and, and go with the guys they kept and. I don't think Tennessee's going anywhere. And, you know, I mean, I, I think year in, year out, you can make a case that Vanderbilt and Florida might be the two best programs in the country. And now you have Tennessee in the SEC East. I'm not ready to say they're number three, but man, they, you know, as somebody who went to Georgia, I'm not, I'm not happy seeing the SEC East get even more rugged. So um, I, I don't think Tennessee's going anywhere. I, I think Tony is a great coach and he knows talent and they've got it rolling now. And the more you win, it's just going to be even easier to get really good players to come to Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I mean, we still have half a season to go and a lot can happen between now and Omaha. But, I mean, man, this team just looks really, really good. There aren't too many teams in the country where you could take their best pitcher away for pretty much the whole season and they'd still be number one in the country, let alone 31-1. and So, Jonathan, you talked to a bunch of scouts. I don't know about a bunch. You talked to some people – uh, some scouts uh, who were at the USA Baseball National High School Invitational, NHSI, and uh, you put together a list of the top performers there. There's, you know, the top pitching, uh, the p- top pitcher on our draft top 100 list is Dylan Lesko. And I asked you guys, I saw uh, Kylie McDaniel tweeted that uh, he, Lesko, uh, you know, maybe the best prep pitching prospect of the past 10 years and that the changeup might be the best prep changeup he's ever seen. And I wanted to check with you guys to see, is, is that accurate? Is that hyperbole? And then Jonathan, you had a quote in your story from uh, a scout who said it might be the best prep changeup he's ever seen. So I think, I think that was Kylie. I think he, I think that was Kylie that, uh, you quoted uh, Kylie. That Jonathan was quoting. Yes, right there. I quoted. The funny thing is, I actually it was quoting a scouting director who heard other scouts. Um, so you know, if, if we were you know doing verifiable sources, I probably would want confirmation. But in this case, you were um, quoting a scouting director who was quoting a scout. Yes, heard other people telephone say that. Yes, right. So for all I know. They were talking about something entirely. They were different. saying they had read that Kylie. Kylie That's said. right. Kylie called it the best amateur changeup he'd ever seen. Kylie's pretty old. He's been doing this for about thirty years. So <laughs> since nineteen eighty nine. Changeup is really, really, really good. Um, and he used it uh, and isn't afraid to use it. Uh, you know, at, at the NHSI, he, you know, he went the four innings and he gave up a run and struck out seven. It was up to 97. He's the best pitcher in the in the draft class. Now we'll have to wait and see because he's missing a start uh, with arm soreness, which you know sets off all sorts of alarm bells and whistles and flashing lights and things like that. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see what that is and if he you know just uh, you know overthrew a little bit in the big stage and they needed to back him up a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens when he comes out of it, but especially given that there, you know, the, so many of the top college pitchers are hurt. Hopefully he, this is just a small blip and he comes back and is just fine. Cause he, he is clearly the best arm in the draft high school, college. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. And, and probably the only one who has a chance to go in the top 10. I asked you guys earlier today, is this the most injured draft class? 
you can remember. I mean, it seems like, and we've we've talked about on the on previous episodes of the podcast about all the, particularly the college pitchers injured this year. Um, but now we have Lesko. Uh, there's another recent injury. Yeah, I mean, as if this draft didn't have enough injuries to begin with. You know, it was mainly pitchers and college pitchers, and now the injury gods are apparently just just getting mean because Dylan Lesko was polished like a college pitcher. So now he has a sore arm and then chase DeLouder, who is my like dark horse pick to maybe sneak into the number one spot. He broke his foot over the weekend. Um, yeah. He, and he's, he, I mean, incredible year he was having. And Jonathan, I asked this earlier, you know, on Slack in some ways, like, I don't know that it's not going to move him up boards cause he got hurt. But he had such a great year where he, he hit 437. He's got an ops over 1,400. He's a career 400 hitter at James Madison. More walks and strikeouts, homers, steals. He does it all. My dogs are very excited about him. You can hear in the background. Um, and, like, he now doesn't have the there, – there's no way he's going to, you know, fall into a slump that might hurt his stock going forward. So I think he's going to go really, really good in the draft. And I think this just, in a weird sort of way, kind of solidifies his status. I think overall you're right. The the only sort of caveat to all that, and, and he is in my half of the of the country in our draft coverage and talking to scouts, uh, because you're right, the numbers throughout his time at James Madison, fantastic. Power showed up on the Cape, which is always a good sign. You talked about the walks. The... James Madison is in a mid-major conference. He's not facing really, really good pitching uh, on a daily basis. There is some concern uh, about uh, you know his hit tool against really good pitching, and it's going to depend on what the scouting industry looks at the most. Is it the totality of the things, including the Cape? Um, opening weekend against Florida State, he was completely overmatched, and I had two different scouts bring this up now it was the first weekend of the season and florida state has two really good left-handed pitchers and and parker messick and bryce hubbard Uh, so it was almost unfair but that was the one time against a higher level of competition uh that delauder matched up against good pitching and and didn't fare well and that clearly is sitting with at least some of the area scouts that i've talked to so i i think by and large he's going to be a a top 10 pick could easily be a top five pick. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how much that bad weekend counts against them when, when teams are lining up their boards. All right, guys, quickly, before we move on to the mailbag, the top of the draft, there are some guys who are not injured and are faring well. Who are they? Well, I feel like our top six guys have held up really well. I don't know that I'd say that they're a lock, but it's certainly not a crock that Drew Jones, Termar Johnson, Elijah Green, Jacob Berry, Brooks Lee, and Jace Young are preseason top six. They could be the top six picks. I mean, they're, they're all having good springs. Uh, they're all playing well. I mean, I guess if you were looking for, you know, nitpick one of these guys, I don't know that Jacob Berry's really impressed anybody that he's going to be a long-term third baseman at LSU. But all those guys are are hitting and performing as expected. Well, he's definitely not going to be a long-term third baseman at LSU because eventually he'll... <laughs> he might just stay there. Come on, he can stay there for two more years. So. I'm sorry. I'd like Jason washing off on me. Like, um, <laughs> Four one-hit innings. But, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know Brooks Lee has been absolutely ridiculous at Cal Poly and probably moves up among that top six a little bit. You know, that's about it. Maybe Chase Delauder moves up a tick before the injury. You know, he's, he was down at number eight back in December. So, but the, you know, the high school guys have been very, very good um, and, and kind of been who we expected them to be. So uh, it, it's kind of nice when you line it up and realize that you're probably not going to have to move guys around too much. You know, there was one of these guys who got drafted and suddenly stopped, uh, stopped performing well. All right. Let's wrap this up by answering a question from the mailbag. This one comes from Mikey G, Twitter handle at B0NerdJams03. Mikey G asks, which system's top three prospects are your favorite crop? Uh, I know we didn't choose. Are we going favorite? Like is Jonathan just going to pick the Pirates because he's from Pittsburgh? Or are we picking the best? 
you know, when, when we when we chose this question, I and and uh, Jonathan threw it out there. I I accused him of just that of this being an opportunity for him. You made an assumption, and you know what happens when you assume. I'm just no, I'm not assuming. I'm just asking for clarification. Are we picking like like are we picking the three guys who are like the best interviews, or are we picking who guys are going to be the best in the long run? <laughs> just your favorite three people, guys who do the most combined charitable acts. That's it. <laughs> I think that's what Mikey G is after here. Yeah, that's I'm sure that's what he means. Okay. All right. So I think we should let Jonathan go first. All right, Jonathan. After ridiculing me before I made my selection. And are you going to pick three? I think Jason. I think you should start answering some of these questions too. You should yeah, contribute. I'll, I'll take one. Okay. Okay. I, I don't think you guys are going to take my team. Well, I think we can pick the same team too. I mean, if we all like the same three guys. It's a, it's a draft. Well, that, it didn't say that, but but okay. All right. You guys done? I'm going to take the Mariners, um, and you know they've got two guys in the top eleven. I mean, Julio Rodriguez, you know, we've, we've talked at nauseum about Noelvi Marte at number eleven. He's in high A right now, uh, and then George Kirby, who is one of my favorite pitching prospects, just uh, because he came into pro ball as a command touch and feel kind of guy and has seen his stuff all tick upwards without losing any of his commands. So now he's got plus stuff and plus command. So he, uh, he, he, to me, is one of the more exciting guys in minor league baseball on the mound. I think he'll be in Seattle before the year is out. So for me, that is the, the trio I choose. I'm going to take the Tigers, and I think that's who I said before. You know, Spencer Torkelson, you know, greatest college hitter to come out of the draft in the last two decades. Riley Green, who some people think might be an even better prospect than Spencer Torkelson, although he came out of high school. Uh, and then Jackson Job, who's got probably as good a pure stuff as any, any you know, all-around stuff as any high school pitcher in, in the last decade or so. So th- that would be my three. I, I, I have interviewed Riley Green. So that, that's purely a talent. I've only interviewed one of the three guys, and I don't know about any of their charitable acts. <laughs> all right. So you, you guys took – and I think without adding this up, you took the two teams who have the three highest, the, the highest ranked top three prospects. Like if you were to uh, give these guys prospect points, yep. um, they, uh, the, the Mariners trio uh, has a collective 258. Uh, Tigers trio has a collective 255. Any guesses as to uh, who would be next on that list? I think it's the Diamondbacks. It is the Diamondbacks. And it was funny because when I was looking at this, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily jump out at you, but they have three guys ranked in the top 23. I, I, I think they would be the, if, if you asked fans like, oh, who are the top five prospect point trios, I think people might have a hard time coming up with Arizona off the top of their head. I agree with that. I would have guessed Baltimore first. You know, I wonder if it's because two of the guys have barely played, you know, because Corbin Carroll's been hurt and Jordan Lawler just signed last year, but like they probably have fewer minor league games than most top trios as well. Is that your pick, Jason? Well, no, I think I, <laughs> he, he did me. He's he, 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 first he said Indians and now he's picking multiple teams. This is great. Yeah, I'm not picking multiple teams. Well, um, yeah. I think that you probably, I think that in a situation like this, you have to go with the highest upside. You, you have two guys in the top six overall with Adley and, Grayson Rodriguez. I think you have to go with those guys. And, and I've talked to Tom Tango, uh, stat wizard uh, here at MLB, uh, about coming up with uh, some sort of system of quantifying um, prospect value based on the rankings. And uh, far be it for me to try to wrap my head around the things that are in Tom Tango's brain, but uh, he has made it clear to me that, you know, the reason that we can't, that we don't put too much value in prospect points. Uh, one of them is the fact that the guys at the top of the list are just, you know, a guy, the difference between the number two and three prospect is, is not the same as the difference between number 99 and a, and a hundred. Uh, and the guys at the top of the list are just much more valuable. And so I think, with two guys in the top six, I'd have to go with the Orioles, not to, not to, you know, not to mention the fact that you have a nice combination of the best pitching prospect in baseball and, uh, you know, once in a generation 
talent behind the plate that's uh, you know maybe the best defensive catcher in baseball and and potential uh, silver slugger that's my pick that's fair I don't know, we'll see but the Tigers have two of the top six and a higher ranked third prospect so it's true I like all of our picks I don't, I don't like your logic there well you I, I couldn't take them you were they were off the board no you could have you were allowed to take them I'm feeling I'm feeling very dirty I like all of our picks and twenty five thousand dollars Tom Tango will tell us at the end of the year who had the best. Okay. You're wrong. Well, it's, it's best long term. So I think we're, we're going to come revisit this <laughs> 20 years ago, 20 years from now when I'm I'm collecting Social the Security. Not, the question does not say long term. Your favorite. Well, it's his favorite slash best. Sure, but it didn't, didn't give any kind of time frame. You're reading that in. Well, see, I think I win then because I think the Tigers are, are – I, I favorite them more than you guys favorite yours. So I'm, I'm declaring myself the winner. <laughs> you guys can pay me now. So. No need for Tom Tango here. All right. Well, thanks very much to Mikey G for that question. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions – leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.